Talk 1110, 99.3 WBT. Hour number three of the Pete Callender Show. Thank you very much for hanging out. I appreciate it. Thanks for letting me be a part of your day, making me a part of your day. Remember, you can get the podcast for the show. Uh, in case you can't join it live, you can always catch up on it. We put them all up uh, as the as each hour passes. So you get three of them, basically, uh, on a one-hour leg. So, like, right now, Bernie is working on hour number two, getting getting it posted as the podcast. And so you just go over to the uh, WBT.com, or you get the app, uh, or you go to the PeteCallenderShow.com, or any of your favorite platforms, and you just click subscribe, and then it comes to your smartphone or tablet automatically, and you just press play. That's it. And it's free. You're welcome. 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. Um, so in the last hour, going over the... Uh, uh, Kevin McCarthy's blocking of Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell from the House Intelligence Committee. And I think it's perfectly reasonable. And I think actually it's I think it is the proper thing to do considering their behavior and the risk uh, that they present. And uh, I did mention that because I, I got a, a message from uh, uh, on Twitter that suggested that maybe this guy, George Santos, which the Democrats, are, and this is, by the way, this is their play. They think that they're going to use the Schiff and Swalwell blocking because they they didn't have to nominate those two guys to the Intel Committee. They didn't have to do that. Hakeem Jeffries, leader of the Democrats in the House, he could have just put up two other Democrats. There were all these other Democrats that would love to be on House Intelligence, and they, didn't, they, they got passed over, knowing that Schiff and Swalwell were, were going to get blocked because McCarthy told them, don't give me those names. They're not going to get on it because they present unique risks. And so Hakeem Jeffries picks the fight. Why? Why pick this fight? Because George Santos. That's what they're using this for. They're not, they, they know they're not going to get these two guys on House Intel. They know that's not going to happen. And so they, they they first started with this argument that uh, this is the this is and Schiff has made this comment too a couple times like oh this is because they have to they got to pay off the the right wing radicals that held McCarthy hostage and all that I I really don't have any doubt that McCarthy would have tried to block one or both of these guys from House Intel I don't know if that was that was a huge cave to the uh, uh, to the twenty holdouts. During the the House Speaker fight, I don't think that's the case. I think McCarthy could have been persuaded if he wasn't already of a like mind. So that's the first run at this that they were taking. But now it's about Santos. Have you noticed this? Like as the as we keep finding more and more documents at Joe Biden's many many homes, all of a sudden now we're getting this all this stuff about Santos. Now Santos makes it very easy, right? Because he lies about apparently every single thing all the time. And so he has made it made himself a very easy target. I don't care what happens to the guy. I really don't. I mean, I don't wish him ill will or anything. I just if he gets run out of Congress, he gets censured, whatever. They, I, I, I it doesn't matter to me. One one backbencher from Long Island um, is not going to be. He's he's not a linchpin in anything. His political fortunes, I care little of. So. I've been kind of astounded at the level of scrutiny I'm I'm being like badgered into providing on this guy. I I'm not not 
not by listeners or anything, but the media is just a constant drumbeat. Oh, did you see Santos lied about this and he lied about that and he lied about this and he lied about that and he lied, lie, lie, lie. I, I, yeah, okay. I, yeah, I don't care. The guy's a liar. Yeah, well, they should definitely run him through the ethics committee. Well, see, there's the thing. Because he got appointed to these two random committees, space and technology committee, okay, whatever. So he got appointed to a couple committees. They're trying to make this hypocrisy argument, and it's the lamest of lame comparisons because there isn't a comparison. The House Intelligence Committee is not like all of the other committees. This is like Sesame Street stuff, right? One of these things is not like the others. House Intel, you need clearances, you see really sensitive information, and when you use that access to the information to run investigations and then lie about what you have, quote, uncovered in order to try to take out a sitting president, which he then ran the impeachment articles and he ran the J6 stuff, right? So Adam Schiff, to people who hate Donald Trump, like Tom, the caller from the last hour, I I understand why you like Adam Schiff. He's your avatar, right? He's the, he's the man who's going to finally get Donald Trump for you. Spent six years and he came up short every single time. He never got Trump. You got the tax returns, nothing there. Right? You impeached him once, then you impeached him again. Maybe try and impeach him again. You got the documents thing going on, and oops, yeah, Joe Biden's doing it too. I've said it before, like these people who kept telling us that the walls are closing in on Donald Trump and this time we got him. How big is this freaking room? How big is this room and how slowly are the walls moving? All right, let me go over here to uh, Spencer. Hello, Spencer. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing fine. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. It was very nice to meet you the other day at the barbecue. Thanks for stopping by. Yeah, I sent pictures to uh, Winterbull oh, and cool. I haven't seen him do anything with them yet, but I'm still waiting. All right, yeah, we'll send them over. Uh, you can send them to me, too, uh, if you're on uh, you're on Facebook or uh, you email them or something. Okay. Yeah, send them over to me. I'll, I'll make sure that they, they get someplace. Okay, the point I was going to make uh, is about Dick Harpootlian. Yeah. <laughs> he was at Clemson. He, uh, he was uh, the editor-in-chief of the Tiger newspaper, when I was a freshman at Clemson in 1970, oh. he was like a junior or a senior, I guess. Okay. And uh, Tom Broadwater was running for governor. He's uh, one of the first black candidates to run for governor in the state of South Carolina. Okay. And uh, a bunch of people were going down to help him in his political campaign from Clemson down to Charleston, South Carolina. And somehow he got the ability to give out passes for people who missed class or missed exam, an exam, you know, the following Monday or whatever it was. Okay. And he was passing them things out like peanuts. <laughs> and a lot, a lot of them went to uh, Monday morning hangovers. So I don't have a good... I don't have a good opinion of this guy. Mm. Um, he he was using a political um, push, I guess you could say, just to get his friends out of class. Hot seat yeah, when they missed class. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, you could say like he had all the he had all the makings of a politician right then and there. I mean, that was like 
That, that's that's classic yep. politician move right there. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's interesting. Yeah, Dick Harputley and uh, longtime fixture in South Carolina politics, Democratic politics. Uh, Spencer, good to hear from you, sir. Send me the uh, send me the picks. Okay. All right. I, pro- I I will open those. Uh, I ju- I usually don't open links and attachments and stuff, but tell me it's from you, Spencer, when you send either an email or uh, or you can send it on Facebook or or Twitter, or whatever. Uh, hang on a second. This is now Fox. Welcome to the program, Fox. Hey, Pete. How are you today? Hey, buddy? I'm I'm good. What's going on? Good, good. So so I was reading yesterday that the FBI guy that was investigating Trump got arrested himself for colluding with the Russians. Did you see that? I did. I, yes, we talked about that yesterday. I oh, asked the question yesterday. No, that's all right. I asked the question yesterday. How many eyes does the FBI have to blacken at this point? Yeah. Well, Pete, the, the only way to fix the country is to start over. That's the reality of it. There's too much money and power up in D.C. You're not going to fix that. You're not going to elect enough people or the right people, even if they want to fix it. They can't. They're not big enough in numbers. So uh, uh, we started New Hampshire, maybe? You, you have to start from scratch. I right, mean, right. I, that's the only possible Where? way I see to fix it. Where, where where do we start from scratch? You start with a new you start with a new Congress, a new Senate, a new president, and you write a new constitution. Oh no, that's not happening. Well, I, I, that's 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 I, I don't think you're going to get anything accomplished the way we're going. Well, and so I, well, it depends on what we're trying to accomplish. I mean, and this is one of the things. Like, I don't want government moving that radically that fast. Uh, well, we're going to have smaller government if we're going to fix it. Oh, see, I, I, I don't, I don't think that that actually is the result. I think what we get is a lot of bloodshed and then a really big government and and tyranny. I think that's the way because I don't think that there, I don't think there are enough people uh, that could write a better constitution than what we have right now. Okay, I, like I don't so think like the modern. Gonna, how are we going to fix DC? How do we fix DC? Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're talking about like from a congressional standpoint or. A presidential standpoint, because you just yeah you you work for better candidates you inside of the system that that's I mean that that's the way you do it without bloodshed. Are you advocating right, no, bloodshed? I'm not, I'm not. I don't want any bloodshed. I'm well, that's what's going to happen when you. I mean, because what you're talking about is overthrowing the country. When you say you need a new constitution, that is a that is an overthrowing of the country. You don't have to overthrow the country violently. You can do it peacefully. You think, we? but you just got through. No, you just got through saying that the people—it's so far gone, it's so bad, it's all the power and corrupting uh, corruption up there. You think that those people just just give up their power and control without without violence? No, you get you get a group of people to go in and get the American people to rally behind them. Right. So all the people show up, rallying behind them, and do what? Where do they go? To the Capitol. I don't have a master plan yet. Okay, right. Well, I'm just. Well, I mean, I think it's important if you're going to call a radio station and you're going to advocate for the overthrowing of the government and the scrapping of the Constitution. I think, like, I don't know, have a plan. Well, I, I, again, I, I don't have a master plan. Yeah, yeah. I'm just looking at it from the point of what what are we going to do to fix all the craziness in the world? Right. So uh, I would offer the advice of uh, essentially Jordan Peterson, which is to first pick up your room, right. Rather than focus on D.C., why not start with something you can fix, something that is under your control, totally within your power to improve? And that's where you start local. 
Do you have an HOA? Do you have a city council? Do you have a county commission? Do you have a political party you want to help out? That's how you start affecting change is in the local or civic organization, nonprofit groups, volunteer and and commit to serve your community to try to improve it in the form of better governance, right? Because if, if, if good people don't get involved, then the bad people just run amok. So that's what I always advocate. It seems that's all we have is the bad people. No, I, I disagree. No, I, I disagree. There are, there, they are our representatives. There are bad yeah. people up there, and there are good people. They are our repre- they're crazy people. <laughs> they're slimy ones. Yeah, they are our representatives. Fox, I appreciate the call. I got to run. Email from Greg. Oh, yeah. Alvin Green. Good times. Good times. Yeah, this is the guy who, while doing a a media interview on his front lawn, sorry, on his father's front lawn, um, he, uh, he did not want to continue answering questions, and so he put his hands over his ears, shut his eyes, and began yelling, oh, no, 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 Because he was done answering questions. He just, he felt uncomfortable. So. Uh, all right, I got a, a couple of uh, emails here to Pete at the Pete Callender Show. This is from Joseph, talking about caller Tom from the last hour. Tom does not know Adam Schiff from Adam's house cat. His opinion is solely derived from the media who glommed on to Schiff because Trump. A whole segment of the population has been broken by proxy because their opinion makers were broken by Trump. That is exactly right. Exactly right. I've got another example of it. Another example. Not. It's about Georgia. It's always on my mind. And uh, their election uh, suppression efforts. Remember? Worst election suppression ever. Got another email about Tom the Caller. Tom is uh, intellectually lazy, low-information voter, equals Dems get a pass. Yeah, it is kind of funny how it always ends up coming back to that same conclusion, right? Where, oh, it's okay. Because nothing I said to Tom, none of the facts that I presented to Tom about Adam Schiff's duplicity and unworthiness uh, to be on the House Intelligence Committee, nothing I said to Tom is going to convince him that his opinion of Adam Schiff is incorrect because literally as he started to his, he was making his closing argument, his final statement, which was that he doesn't uh, know if, if Adam Schiff is crooked, but he does think that we need more people like Adam Schiff uh, to run for president and to be in office. So that does tell me you, you've made it. You do have an opinion. You've made a decision on whether Adam Schiff is a crook and you've determined he's not. That's why I asked him, do you think I'm lying to you about this? Because, I mean, that's fine. If you think I'm lying or if I'm mistaken or something, I'm giving you a report that's not true. Okay. That you want to dismiss that. But I don't know how you wrestle with the information that I've given you unless you try to, you know, dismiss me as a liar or dismiss the, but I'm just giving you the story that came from the interviews with the people. And then the declassification. You can go find all the documents and read them for yourselves. But people don't know, right? People don't know that this stuff came out because media plays a role. And I've, I've said this before many times, many different ways. Merry Christmas. No, uh, well, I have 
actually done that too. But I, I I've said it many times that the um, the media pretend that they are not participants in the arena, and they are. They pretend that they're just sitting up in the cheap seats taking notes about what's going on between the gladiators. No, you're not. You're not in the stands watching and reporting. You're you're participants in the fight. Because the people that are in the stands watching, they're watching you. Right? They're reading you. They're listening to you. I mean, some of them are going to watch C-SPAN, to be sure. But most people are not. Most people are going to turn to you to perform a reenactment of what the gladiators did. And how... Right? And so how can you say that you're not participating in that? Because your interpretation of what has occurred is being conveyed to them as true. Speaking of which, I have to make a correction now. Now, in my defense, in my defense, I didn't say this. So it's not even me. But I have to apologize because I was a vehicle for disinformation from Tim, who called earlier, talking about the the pouring the oil on the roads in Arizona. He said, after my on-air comment, my sister pointed out that I was wrong. The substance sprayed on Tucson roads is not oil, despite signs that state fresh oil. Rather, it is a chemical surface treatment that can be slippery when wet. Schools do close in anticipation of rain, but it's because of fear of flash flooding on the roadways. So not because of the oil, which isn't oil. Tusconans? Tusconans? That's what they call themselves? Tusconans? Tusanites. Tusanoans. Tusanoans? That sounds like an order for uh, Girl Scout cookies. Anyway... Tuscanans, Tuscanans, uh, still lose their minds when trying to drive in the rain, he says. So that part still is true. Good to know. Uh, I must now apologize, though, uh, for making you complicit in dissemination of false information, and I apologize to your audience as well. I accept any and all criticism you and your listeners deem just. I think we've, do- I think we've done enough here. That'll do, pig. That'll do. <laughs> So you remember when Georgia passed some election integrity measures and then a bunch of people got really, really mad and they canceled a baseball game or something? I mean, it was a long time ago. I'm old enough to remember it, but I may be dating myself here. So uh, they uh, they passed these laws. This would have been Senate Bill 202. And uh, they just ran an election under the uh, under these rules, which were Jim Crow 2.0. Or was that 2.0? Or I thought 2.0 was here. Didn't we have 2.0? We had a 2.0. Are they on three now? Or do you, are we going like 2.2? Are we doing 2.6? I really need a guide on this. Anyway, an independent post-election poll conducted by Yuga, University of Georgia, takes a look at people's uh, feelings 
uh, about the election and uh, how it was administered. Do they think their votes counted? Right. So here's the uh, here are the big takeaways, the top line takeaways. Number one, more than 90 percent of voters feel that they were suppressed. No, I'm kidding. 90 percent of voters feel it was easy to cast their ballot. More than 90 percent. That's pretty good. They said it was easy. Three quarters of voters waited less than 10 minutes to vote. Three quarters of voters. So it didn't cause the long lines. Three quarters of the voters waited less than 10 minutes. And 95% of voters had excellent or good voting experiences. Again, 95% excellent or good voting experiences. So Governor Brian Kemp put out a uh, press release. He said, yet again, the myth of voter suppression in Georgia fails to be supported by a shred of evidence. Democrats have juiced this lie for every cent it was worth disparaging our state and undermining faith in our elections. That's it. Undermining faith in our elections. The facts are clear. Georgia's Election Integrity Act made it easy. What is going on out there? Like, it's just always amazing to me. That's just crazy. Uh, all righty. So they, so Brian Kemp puts out the statement, and he's absolutely correct that when people don't believe that the elections have integrity, they are less likely to participate, right? So you actually end up driving up participation rates when you have a system that is secure and is credible. For example, I know I give this example a lot, but here's the good example. Here's the good comparison. The lottery. Would you play the lottery if the lottery commissioner's wife keeps winning? Probably not, right? You probably would not go put any more money into the lottery commissioner's wife's pocket. People people play the lottery because they have confidence it's not rigged. They have confidence that their, quote, vote matters, right? That I'm going to submit this ballot of numbers and I have an equal chance, a real equal chance. It's all above board. And so when you have faith in the system, more people will participate. And if the uh, jackpot gets big enough. But the facts are clear here. Georgia's Election Integrity Act made it easy to vote and hard to cheat. It is past time for President Biden and his allies to apologize to the people of Georgia and request the Department of Justice withdraw their ridiculous lawsuit against the state. I did not even remember there was still a lawsuit against Georgia over this. Yeah, where does where do we go to get those apologies here? Do you think you're going to get one from the DOJ or from Biden? Really? Of course not. Major League Baseball? Anybody going to ask that question? Is anybody even going to ask about the survey of any... Democrat in Georgia, any local media going to ask Democratic state lawmakers and activists who, you know, rallied around this cry of suppression and Jim Crow 2.0, are you guys going to ask them, hey, so survey uh, says you're you were wrong. Turns out, actually, everybody had a really good experience. And and I actually I actually read through the the results. I, I went to the survey website, pulled out the cross tabs. And I started looking it over. There's some pretty interesting data points. Interesting questions and response. Here, here are a couple. So at a personal level, they ask, 
How would you rate your overall experience? Your overall experience. And you know what they find? So they, they give you five, five answers. Excellent, good, fair, poor, or don't know. Okay? Now, I would submit that three of those four answers are acceptable. Excellent, good, fair. All of those show that you, that, that you found the process to be acceptable. It, even if you're saying it was fair, that, that still means what? It wasn't poor. Poor is the only bad answer you can give. You would expect to see, I think you would expect to see a lot more people in that category answering poor because it's the only negative one you could answer. All the others are just degrees of acceptability. So how many people, what percentage do you think said poor? Which would be a real registration of disaffectation, right? Or or, or disenfranchisement. That would be a real expression of, Poor came in at 0.6%. So in other words, 99% of the people said they had an excellent, good, or fair experience voting. Um, as you might imagine, the numbers where you see the, the most separation, the categories, the demographics, 18 to 29-year-olds, they they were, I mean, everybody is like under 1%, but 18 to 29-year-olds, they were sort of at odds with all of the rest of the uh, demographic groups. They they gave a higher number to fair. So maybe they thought that uh, uh, it was harder than they expected or something. I don't know. Maybe they're 18 and they've never voted before, and so they didn't know what the process was at all. I don't know. But that was one difference. Um, then politically, you see the same thing occur in liberal Democrat and under 25,000 annual income, you see same sort of uh, disparities in those groups. It's still very small, but they are there are greater numbers in those three demographics that are registering lower scores. But again, 99 percent said overall, my experience was okay. Now, what's funny is they ask another question later. They say, now think about voting throughout the state, not just your situation, your personal situation, but across the state. How confident are you that votes in Georgia were counted as voters intended? And you see a disconnect here. People, 99% said their personal experience was fine. But they're less less confident in the total system. That number goes from 99%, it drops down to uh, 77% total when you add in very confident or somewhat confident because they give you, again, they, they give you five answers, you know, don't know, uh, very confident, somewhat confident, not too confident or not confident at all. Right? So the, you got a spectrum, you got this range, but if you throw in confident, the, those two answers and the not confident, you, you just lump them together, you end up with 77% saying that they are confident that the votes got counted as intended. Now, there is, I thought, uh, there were some differences among women, um, among black voters. And uh, so they like there were higher numbers of them saying that they were not confident. And also Republicans, higher degrees of not too confident. Everybody tended to agree. 
that the job performance of election officials in their county, excellent and good. 87% said excellent and good, and that was across the board, all demographics, which are you know male, female, white, black, other, different age groups, high school, some college, college degree or higher, liberal, moderate, conservative, Republican, independent, Democrat. So they have all these different then income ranges. They have all these different ways that they broke out the demographics. So that was universal. And then another disconnect. Did the recent changes made to Georgia's election laws increase or decrease your confidence in the state's election system? And here's where you see the disconnect. I'll explain it in a minute. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. All righty, so the uh, Georgia law that went into effect for the last election that was supposed to create all of the voter suppression, make it so much harder to vote, I don't know. I, I'm not sure. I, I didn't see any reports of people uh, perishing uh, while in line at the polling places uh, due to lack of water, uh, due to lack of food being provided to them by you know completely nonpartisan activists for the left. Um, so, I, but maybe I, maybe I missed the reports. I'm sure some people died. Maybe a couple million died in the polls. I don't know. Or at the polls. But um, apparently, it did not actually suppress a whole lot. In fact, most people, as in virtually all people in Georgia, told a survey conducted by the University of Georgia that, uh, no, they felt it was easy to cast the ballots. Uh, they waited very a very short period of time, less than 10 minutes, and uh, they had an excellent or good voting experience. Like 99% had no problems. That's good. That should be celebrated. But there should also be an accounting and a, a reckoning, if you will, for the people that predicted catastrophe, who said this was some nefarious effort to keep people from voting. When it obviously did not do that. So am I to believe that this was just the worst uh, suppression effort ever? Like they just were terrible at at implementing their objective? Was that what I'm to believe? Like they passed all these laws that you said were so bad and then actually the opposite happened. Nobody had any problems with it. People are confident in the votes that they cast, although not so much for the system uh, across the state. Which, by the way, how do you how do you get that disconnect? How do you have a disconnect where your personal experience is fantastic, you have no problems, but you suspect that somewhere else in the state people are having a lot of problems? Where, where does that come from? Conspiracy theory, social media, and media, legacy media, right? Could it also have something to do with the fact that the legacy media outlets and the Democratic politicians that you know parachuted into Georgia? to tell them how racist they were being by trying to have election integrity. Maybe some of that messaging took hold. Maybe you convinced some people that you were right, reporters, right? When, when, when you, oh, oh, I know, you, you weren't advocating a position. You just went and stuck a microphone in the face of every moon bat that would scream election suppression, and you put them on the air. And you gave them that oxygen, right? And maybe... People believed them. 
you were just the messenger, right? You, you didn't do that. You were just trying to tell the story, to be, to, to be a witness to history, right? Here's a big disconnect. Voters are asked, did the recent changes made to the election laws increase or decrease your confidence in the state's election system? 42% said it increased it, either greatly or somewhat. 42% said they, they now have more confidence. Surprise, surprise, it's mainly among, uh, among Republicans uh, and conservatives. That's where you see the largest numbers that they believe. Oh, there's like 59% Republicans, 54% uh, conservatives. They, is, they say that they now have greater confidence. Who has less confidence? Black voters, people with uh, college degrees or higher, and lower income. Oh, and, and liberals and Democrats, right? So basically, the, the Democrat coalition, right? That's them. You have this disconnect here where, again, they had a perfectly fine experience themselves. They ranked their uh, uh, their local county elections uh, offices and volunteers. They said they were great. They were good to work with. They were competent. I felt like my vote counted. I had a, a less than 10-minute wait time. In and out, no problem, all very clear. It was excellent. It was good, whatever. But then when asked, so this law that was passed that you just voted under, did that greatly increase your confidence, somewhat increase it, or decrease it somehow? And you've got these constituencies that make up the Democrat coalition that say it decreased their confidence. It decreased their confidence. Think about that. You have millions of people in America right now that believe that when you implement election integrity measures designed to combat fraud, they then have less confidence in the system. They believe that it is less credible. They think that your integrity measure is actually the opposite of that. What else? Comparing your experience voting in the last election to this election, do you think it was easier this time or harder than last time? Or was there no difference? 92% said no difference. (laughs) 92%. Now, Democrats and liberals were more likely to say it was harder. But overall, everybody, like 9 out of 10 people, they were all like, oh, yeah, it was the same. All right, I'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.